Well, if you were wondering or somehow not quite sure, there should be no doubt any longer. The New York so-called Reproductive Health Act passed earlier this week is the latest reminder that we live in days that are evil. We live in a day or in days when evil is called good and good is called evil. We live in a time where sin abounds. And Paul says in our passage tonight that we as Christians should be diligent Diligent to take the time to look at and to take care to look at our lives and to ask ourselves if we are living wisely or unwisely. He wants us to look carefully uh, to ask if we're living as beloved children to go back to the first part of chapter five. Because the question isn't, are we being influenced? The question is, by what are we being influenced? We're all being influenced by something. And of course, Paul says whether we're living wisely or not is determined based upon whether we're being influenced by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, if you would stand in the honor of God's Word and the reading of it, we're going to read our... These verses again, Ernie did a great job, but we want to read them again to keep them before us as as we begin our study of them. Hear now the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures and stands forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, we would ask in these moments that you would open our eyes and our ears to the truth of your word, that you would speak to through what you have already spoken. And as I've already prayed with the children, that we would be different as we leave. Bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Bless now the preaching of it. And would you remove anything within me or about me that would hinder us from seeing the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's in him that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Jeremiah Burroughs, you may have heard of him. He is a 17th century Puritan. And he once said from him, who is Christ, as from a fountain, sanctification flows into the souls of the saints. Their sanctification comes not so much from their struggling uh, and endeavors and vows and resolutions as it comes flowing to them from their union with Him. That, of course, has been the truth that I have reminded you and reminded myself prior at the beginning of each of these sermons since the beginning of chapter 4, because Paul has reiterated this same truth 
in each and every passage that we've come to. Um, he's, he's instructing, he's not afraid to instruct and exhort because he knows and he has been expressing to us, he knows that we have not only been saved from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin as well. And so while knowing and understanding and remembering and being grateful for our justification that is ours through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also vitally important for our sanctification to understand that it's okay, not only okay, but right for Paul and for us, or for Paul to call us and for us to be called to obedience. Because in his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 30, we are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Our sanctification is a part of what he has purchased for us on the cross. And so as I've said, and you've heard me say many times, our sanctification and our obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is fruit of our salvation. It is actually fruit of our union with Him. And therefore, we can be called to it. So in that context, we're going to wrap up tonight what Paul began back in verse 1 of chapter 5. We're going to wrap up his call for us to live as beloved children. As sons and daughters of His. And if you remember last week, we said that, that a, a part of that is resting in hope and, and walking in love and walking as light. And tonight, He's going to continue that walk as uh, mantra, basically, or the, the ex- exhortations to walk as by calling us to walk wisely. And very simply, our outline is going to look like this. We're going to look at uh, the what, the why, and the how of walking wisely. So let's start first. And look at the what. If you'll remember, again, last week we, we wrapped up or we had just finished talking about the calling to the Ephesians and for us to walk as light. And he very clearly and matter-of-factly said that we are to take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. And we said that there were several ways that we could expose them. First, we said that we could expose our sins, uh, our, our own sins by confessing our sins to one another. We also said that we could expose the sins of others that have been perpetrated against us so that we could uh, deal with the pain and the guilt and the shame that comes with uh, those who have, um, who have sinned against us. But we also said that we are to speak out or to speak the truth in love to those around us inside and outside of the church to call sin, sin. Um, we, we were to hold one another accountable within the body of Christ. And we're to encourage one another to confess our sins to one another before things move down the road where one sin builds upon another sin and then there's nothing but devastation left that we can, we can come and, and be involved with one another and live among one another and confess our sins to one another before it gets out of hand. And so in verse 15, Paul says, Look carefully then... How you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He knew that if they were going to walk as light, he knew if we are going to walk as light, that we better take the time to look precisely and accurately at our own lives and ask ourselves if we're living wisely or unwisely. Because we're living in the midst of evil days. 
As John Calvin said in his commentary on this passage, he wrote, If believers must not neglect to drive away the darkness of others by their own brightness, how much less ought they to be blind as to their own conduct in life? Don't worry, I'm going to flesh that out because I needed to flesh that out. Language that someone like me can understand. Basically, he's saying... That if we as Christians are going to fulfill Paul's instruction here in verse 11 to expose the unfruitful works of darkness, we need to be paying attention to our own conduct as well. Another way to put that would be, if we're going to expose the darkness and the unfruitful deeds of darkness, we have to be aware of and dealing with our own, uh, dealing with it in our own lives as well. We need to be taking the time, or we can't shed light on darkness in the lives of others if we're blind to our own. Really, we could, but it would turn into legalism, among other things. But what does looking entail? When we say we're to look, what does it entail? Well, it involves accurately assessing whether or not we're living as beloved children. It's, it's assessing our lives and, and looking and, and asking ourselves, are we, are we walking in a manner, to go back to chapter 4, are we walking in a manner worthy of our calling? It entails a willingness to examine ourselves and the temptations that we experience. It's a matter of examining ourselves and, and looking at the temptations that we might be entertaining or maybe the besetting sins that we have, have not confessed or that we haven't repented of. Or we aren't mortifying. It involves looking around at our surroundings and the places that we go. It involves looking and, and, and understanding what we're seeing. Understanding what we're hearing. It's a matter of assessing and, and examining who we're spending all of our time with. And, and the bottom line is looking involves being honest and exhibiting a willingness to admit if we're walking foolishly and following the world's wisdom, or if we're walking wisely in the way of godly wisdom. We have to ask questions like, are we walking in the way of the world, or in a way that the world would call wise, or are we walking in a way that the Lord would call wise? We have to ask ourselves, are we walking and living as if we're lost, or are we walking and living as those who have been raised to walk in newness of life? We have to ask ourselves, are we living differently than our unsaved family and friends and neighbors? Are, are, not only are we living differently, but are our values different? Are our desires different? Are our affections different? Are our convictions different? Are our goals different? Or are we living as those who are dead in their trespasses and sins? To use language from a couple of weeks ago, have we crawled back in to the, to the coffin and somehow believe that it's been shut on top of us and we have no choice but to live the way we used to live prior to the Lord Jesus. And how do we answer? When we start asking those questions, I think we have to be honest and have to say, well, not all the time. We don't all the time. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we are living different, but many times we're not. Definitely not often as we would like to, and for sure not perfectly. 
More and more we are, but just when we think that we're not struggling with a temptation anymore, just as we think that we're not dealing with a particular sin anymore, it rears its ugly head once again. And we have to deal with it all over again. And sometimes it seems as though that, that our victory over temptations and sins in one area actually creates, or instead of thinking about those, we actually begin to understand that we're growing more and more aware of other sins and temptations in other areas of our lives. It's as if we put one, one idol to death, and that idol either resurrects itself, or even if it remains dealt with, two others move into, the, move into its place. Or maybe that's just me. But that's why it's so important for us to remember, to remind ourselves over and over that we are not identified by these temptations and sins. We are not identified by our victory or our failure in dealing with those temptations and sins. We are identified by our union with the Lord Jesus. We're identified by Christ. Our old selves have been crucified with Him. They've been raised. Our new selves have been raised with Him. In Him we've been justified and declared not guilty. The wages of our sin have been dealt with and paid. We've not only been declared not guilty, but we've been declared righteous because of Christ's work being credited to our account. And so we we are striving to become who we've already been declared to be. We've been freed from the bondage of sin. We've been redeemed. And we've been adopted. Therefore, we're saints and we're set apart for holy use. We're sons and daughters of God. And the Lord Jesus, who we're united with... The Bible says he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Our standing and position are rock solid and cannot be lost, changed, or revoked. Of course, the natural question is, why are we then to look carefully at how we walk and live? Why are we to look carefully? And one reason is just what I've explained Paul tells us to look carefully, diligently, precisely, and accurately. Not not so that we doubt our salvation or our standing before the Father. He calls us to look carefully so that we live wisely and remember that we're always dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That never changes. We are dependent upon Him. Paul isn't exhorting us to examine ourselves so that we grow discouraged and hopeless. He tells us to look carefully. To the contrary, he he tells us to look carefully because he doesn't want us to ever fool ourselves into thinking that we've arrived and are no longer in need of the gospel. He wants us to look so that we keep in mind that walking wisely begins with resting in Christ. Our walking wisely is, is more than that, but it is no less than resting in the finished work of Christ. It begins there. But in verse 16, if you'll notice, he, he provides another reason. Paul says he wants us to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And we don't like talking about this a whole lot, but we've all been given a certain amount of time. All of us have been given an allotted in a particular amount of time. And and none of us know how much time that is. We're here for a season. 
And the time we've been allotted or given is in the, again, as I've said, is in the midst of days that are abounding in evil. And so Paul says that the days, actually he says that they're wicked. And so time is short. Judgment is coming. And so he says we need to look carefully. Look carefully at how we're walking, whether wise or unwise. Because we need to make the best use of the time. The word actually means we need to redeem the time. We need to buy it. We need to claim it. And we need to live wisely in the midst of it. As we mentioned last week, there are those in the world that, that are attempting to deceive us into believing. As I've already said, that, that the good is evil and the evil is good. They're trying to deceive others around them to buy into the fact that how they're living is not sinful. How they're living is not bad for themselves or for others. They're trying to get us to condone the lifestyles that they're choosing to live and not only condone them, but celebrate them. We're being bombarded day in and day out. They want us to, ex- they want to excuse that behavior. And, and bottom line, they want to say that, that those things are okay in the sight of God. And so Paul's calling us to make the best use of the time, looking carefully at how we walk in the midst of this wicked and perverse and, and sin-filled days, minimizing the time that we're unwise, maximizing the time that we're wise, living in light rather than darkness, living in love rather than lust. And we can make the best use of time by living differently and speaking the truth in love in the midst of that darkness, exposing the darkness, using the time that we have for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. Bringing to light the unfruitful works of darkness through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being intentional in our conversations. Bringing the gospel to bear in the midst of those. And and notice, Paul doesn't really get more specific than that. We're given freedom in what that looks like. We all need to look and, and see how we're acting and how we're living. Is it wise or unwise? And, and within the parameters of Scripture, then we have this freedom. Is, what does is redeeming the time look like for you? What does the redeeming of time look like for me? It may be different. How are we wasting our time? He doesn't get, real, he, he doesn't get as specific as someone to get because he's, he's allowing us freedom. But I will say that making the best use of time does include being faithful in the little things. It includes living differently for the sake of others in the day-to-day routines and normalcy of life. You've heard me say this before. We're making the best use of our time looks like loving and serving our neighbors in, in a multitude of different ways. Loving our spouses, discipling our children. Being faithful in those simple things. And and even ways that Paul's already described for us, maybe just keeping our emotions in check, maybe working hard and honestly, maybe being kind and gracious. They don't have to be these earth-shattering, world-changing ways to shed light and to walk wisely. They seem to be insignificant in some ways, but really they're not. There are ways that light exposes darkness. Wisdom excels. But as we often do, and Paul will give us a what and a why, and we say, well, how in the world can I do that? Well, he gives that to us as well. How do we do that? How do we 
live or how do we walk wisely? Look at verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. And for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we're going to walk wisely, he gives us two negatives and two positives, and he puts a negative and positive together in in both cases. And so first he says, we are not to be foolish, but we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. And we can look at the negative command of don't, you know, um, don't be foolish. And if we just took it by itself, we could say, really, what he's saying is just don't be stupid. Right? Sometimes it just doesn't get any more difficult than that. Sometimes it's just a matter of our common sense. But because he pairs it with the positive, it's more than that. He expounds upon that. I mean, it can be that, and it should be that, and we should hear that sometimes. But really, he pairs that with understand what the will of the Lord is. And so it does mean more than that. And what I want to do is first, in in this positive command and in the one to follow, I want to share what it doesn't mean and then share what it does mean. Because in both cases, I think there are abuses that we hear today. And so when he says understand what the will of the Lord is, he's not saying that to live wisely, that we have to figure out some sort of discoverable individual will of the Lord that includes where the Lord wants us to go and who the Lord wants us to talk to or or what the Lord wants us to do in every specific instance, specifically and exactly like um, who, who we're to date or who we're to marry or where, to, where we're to work or, or what neighborhood to live in and so on. What he's saying is, don't be foolish, don't live foolishly, understand the will of the Lord, understand the moral will of the Lord, understand the Word of God. Understand what the Bible says. The Lord speaks and directs us through His Word. It's not hidden, it's been completely revealed to us. So live wisely by following and living according to the Word of God. Don't make it more difficult than it really needs to be. We're waiting. Lord, I just, I want you to speak. He has. Lord, I want you to speak out loud. Show me what I'm to do. Read it out loud. Hear the Word of the Lord. And that's Paul's point. Understand the word of the Lord. How do we live wisely? Don't be foolish. Don't live according to the world's wisdom. Live according to the wisdom of the Lord that we have in his word. But secondly, Paul says also, don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now, again, the negative command is pretty straightforward, but I hope you'll bear with me because I think in some cases we can limit that as well. And I'll explain that in just a minute. But straightforwardly, he says, don't get drunk. Don't drink too much. And he adds, because it's debauchery. It's translated uh, reckless living in Luke 15 in the story of the prodigal son. And so, very straightforwardly, he's saying, don't lose control of yourself. Don't lose control of your inhibitions. Don't lose control of your faculties, because that's reckless. Actually, it's dangerous for you and for other people. 
But I, I believe this is just one way and therefore this is one example Paul is using to stress a principle behind this command, not just not just the do not get drunk, but the principle behind the command, and that is this. The larger principle of being under the influence of something. Of course, being drunk is the most obvious, right? And it provides the best picture, but the principle of the command goes much farther than, I believe, just being drunk. Because let's be honest, let's be truthful, okay? You can be under the influence of alcohol without being drunk. You can come to a place where you believe you have to have a drink in your hand um, at every gathering to have fun or for it to be enjoyable, even if it's just one or two. You can come to a place where you have to have a drink every day, even if it's one or two. You can come to the place... Where you, you believe that um, it, the answer to the end of every day, particularly those bad days, is to have a drink. Even if it's one or two. And the reality is, when we get to those places, we may not be getting drunk, but it's still, we're still being influenced by it. It's still having an impact. But not only that, there are a number of other things that we can be influenced by that control us, that we think that we need to deal with the day or our emotions or we become influenced by things that we think will bring contentment. Things like affluence and power and prestige, the opinions of others. And when we allow those things... To influence us, it's still reckless. It's reckless living. Because it's nothing other than idolatry. All those things, whether it's alcohol, money, jobs, people, they're all gifts from God. And when we fall under their influence, they begin to control us. We take them, um, we take them and we twist them. We use and abuse them to our own demise. So Paul, Paul says, don't get drunk. And there is no argument about that. Don't get drunk. But in the bigger picture, he's saying, don't be under the influence of any idols. Rather, and here's the positive command, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And like the first positive command, be filled with the Spirit needs to be explained by first describing what it's not. And then by describing what it is. You may have heard some people say in the context of this passage, you know, don't get drunk with wine, get drunk in the spirit. And what they're talking about is some dramatic experience or some second blessing or that is evidenced by some ecstatic or uncontrollable behavior or laughter or falling on the floor or unintelligible speech that only happens to some Christians. And may I be so bold as to say that that is complete and utter nonsense. Because Paul actually describes what it means to be filled by the Spirit earlier in the letter. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. When he says that, he's saying, as believers, those of us who have been baptized in the Spirit, those of us who have been indwelt by the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit need to continuously and constantly be filled by and influenced by 
the Spirit. Empowered and influenced by the Spirit. And we know that's taking place, again, earlier in the letter, when we grow in our assurance of our salvation. That's chapter 1. We know that we're being filled with the Spirit when we grow in our faith that is evidenced by Christ becoming the center of our affections, the center of our desires, convictions, and actions more and more and more and more. That's chapter 3. We can go to Galatians chapter 5. We're being filled with the Spirit when, when we're living and exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And that's not a one-time experience, but an ongoing, continual action. And so we, of course, naturally, I don't know about you, but I ask you, well, how does that happen? How are we filled by the Spirit? And again, that, that is not individualistic. It's not private. It's not something that occurs between just you and God and, or me and God. It's not, again, it's not this dramatic Overly emotional, manipulative, ecstatic, glory dust filled experience. Paul says both here and in the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, and, and this is going to seem overly simplistic, but it's what he says that it happens during the normal routine of God's people gathering on the Lord's day for regular worship. as simple as that we're being filled with the spirit right now it happens in the context of the body it happens as we follow Christ's word and allow to dwell in our hearts through the songs and hymns and spiritual songs that we sang tonight and that we sing every week, that we sing to God and to one another as we sing of, of the rich, rich truths of a triune God, of we sing the rich truths of our sin and our need of forgiveness and of our Savior and of our confession, the need of confession and our need of salvation. It happens when we remember and proclaim God's work in the lives of one another and, and people past and present. Present. It happens when we look forward to the hope that we have in eternity of being with Him. It happens as, as we give thanks to God through the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray. It happens through the teaching and admonishing from God's Word. It's through that regular worship of God's people that the Word of Christ dwells within us and we are filled by the Spirit. And this is not only how we're filled, but it also, it's also how we know that we're being filled. Those who are being filled with the Spirit and are being influenced by the Spirit want to be with God's people like the psalmist in Psalm 42 that we heard read earlier. The psalmist in Psalm 42 is, is not able to gather with the Lord's people to worship and he's in this dire place. He, he feels deprived because he's not going to worship and not able to worship with the people of God. Those who are being filled with the Spirit feel that way when, when they're unable to attend and when unable to be there. They're feeling like something is being withheld because they want to be with God's people. They want to be in His presence and theirs. Yes, and we, we hear this all the time. People, I've heard people, especially when we lived in Colorado, well, I just prefer to worship up on the mountain when I'm on my bike. I mean, I pray while I'm doing that. I sing while I'm doing that. I get it. I love doing that. 
I loved being out. I loved hunting. I loved being at 13,000 feet and just being out there in the blue of the sky. And did I worship out there? Absolutely. Praising God for His creation. But that is not the same thing as corporate worship. It's not. It's not the same thing as gathering with God's people because understand, God has saved a people. He saved a people. He saved us, not just me. And it's important for me to be here. And He's chosen to work in the context of that gathering. He's chosen to work in this gathering. Therefore, those being filled with the Spirit want to gather with the people of God. And don't get me wrong. I I mean, God is the God of providence, right? So you're going to get sick. You're going to have a flat tire. There are going to be reasons why you can't be here. I get that. But because we, we need to be here because it's... It's a corporate setting. It's in the corporate setting that we joyfully express our godly affections and desires and convictions to God and to each other through our singing, through our praying, and through our thankful hearts, and by submitting to one another. I mean, I loved all of the songs tonight. Somebody may not have, right? But you look down the aisle and you know somebody else is, and in that moment you're submitting to them. We submit to one another and we'll expound on what that looks like in the weeks ahead as we move in more, further into chapter 5. But we put the needs of others before our own out of a growing love and care and concern for each other. We've been, we've been created and wired for community. And it's in this worshiping community that God ministers to us and fills us with His Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, you know as well as I do, the days are evil. And we shouldn't take them lightly. We shouldn't take them for granted. We need to look carefully at how we walk. How are we living in that world? We're to engage the world. We're to be in the world. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17. He's not praying that you remove them. Father, don't remove them from the world, right? But protect them while they're in it. We are to engage the world around us. And may we always remember that the primary means through which we we live wisely in the midst of that world is as we understand the word of the Lord, as we follow what it is He has revealed to us in His word, and as we gather regularly for worship on the Lord's day with His people. We should want to gather because we need to gather. We have to gather. And we should miss it when we don't. Because it's for His glory and for our good. May it be so. Let's pray together.